Welcome to the Marketing Tips for Doctors podcast, where you'll discover the secrets to attracting more patients ready to schedule their first appointments to grow your practice without spending hours and hours away from your practice or home. Hear how to boost your online presence, develop a strong rapport with each one to increase patient compliance while adding value and growing revenue. Now here's your host, Dr. Barbara Hales, America's leading medical strategist. Welcome to another episode of Marketing Tips for Doctors. I'm your host, Dr. Barbara Hales. Today, we have with us Ridgely Goldsboro. He is an author and international speaker. Ridgely believes in solving problems and taking complex and challenging topics and making sense out of them. He started his first business at 16 and since graduated from law school in 1987. During this time, he's founded 43 companies. He has written 17 books, hosted his own television show and created dozens of audio and video programs on success and prosperity. He is a frequent speaker at top internet marketing conferences and a facilitator and trainer for high-level CEO masterminds. Richley received his BA in Spanish from the University of Virginia, his JD from Whittier College School of Law, his master's writing certificate from UCLA, and is currently enrolled in a master's program for value-creating education and global citizenship at DePaul University. He actively practiced law in California for 12 years before turning his attention to building companies. He does all his work in both English and Spanish. When not traveling, Ridgely lives in Florida with his wife, Kathy. Ridgely is the founder of Mind Types, a cutting program based on limbic messaging and gamification that develops inspired cultures through playing games. In addition, he is the co-author of Wealth Kryptonite, a revolutionary new approach to wealth accumulation that focuses on the relationship with each individual and their avatar to money. Welcome to the show, Ridgely. Thank you very much, Barbara. I'm happy to be here with you on this fine day. Uh, tell me what, what mind types are all about. So if you think back to childhood, there was a time when at the, whenever you needed or wanted anything, you would just scream and yell and cry. And mom or dad or a caretaker would come and give you whatever you wanted um, in order to get you to be quiet. But then one day, or generally over a period of time, that caretaker says, wait a second, Barbara, I'm sorry. You don't get to have all that you want based on shrieking, right? And yet that didn't make your needs and wants go away. So you had to take some other kind of action, exhibit some other behavior in order to get those needs and wants met. And when you figured that out, when crying didn't work and you figured out what did work, does it stand to reason that you would repeat that behavior on an ongoing basis? Sure. Yeah. In fact, you, it is akin to survival for an infant or a toddler, right? Because milk or no milk is life or death. Comfort when you're scared is life or death. So when that activity gets cemented into the brain of a small person, a small toddler, then that activity is going to be a driver toward behavior actually for the rest of their life. And 
It becomes the thing that was so deeply cemented in the psyche that it's never going to change. And it establishes, in essence, why you do what you do and uh, your belief system. And it's categorized by seven different mind types. There are seven mind types that exhibit the behavior specific to that mind type that defines why a person thinks the way they think, speaks the way they speak, does everything that they do. And since it's never gonna change, pretty important for most of us to understand who we are, what we believe, and how that behavior is driven on an ongoing basis. So that's the, the genesis, if you will, of the seven mind types. Well, of course, people revert back to shrieking to get their needs, as we all know sometimes, <laughs> especially on the highway. I know, right? No kidding. Sign language. <laughs> how, how do we find out which our mind type is? And can we switch our mind type to enable more people to respond favorably to us? So those are two very good questions. Uh, and they're separate. So let's separate those two. So one of the behavior, so let's go with the, the second question first, and then we'll talk about how do we establish or how do we figure out our mind type. So one of the things that people have a misunderstanding about is the notion that they're going to try to speak with their language to their avatar. Okay, I'm going to, I'm going to figure out who my client is and I'm going to talk their language. Well, if you do that, then by definition, you attract three types of client, the good, the bad, and the ugly, because you have no control over who's coming your way. And, it, and if we're really uh, transparent with ourselves, we do not want the bad or the ugly. We only want the good client, the ones that are an ideal fit for our business, our service, our product. Those who resonate with who we are, get who we are, and that we can have that compatibility with uh, based on shared belief system. Well, the only way to really do that is not to worry about what you think they want to hear, but rather to express yourself so clearly and genuinely that you offer the opportunity for others out there who hear your message to say, wow, that's my kind of person. That's what I've been looking for. They understand me. They get me. Therefore, let me establish this bond with them, move in their direction, and then do business together. So it's not about thinking that you know what they want to hear. It's about expressing yourself with such clarity that you are able to attract like a magnet those who believe what you believe. Nobody cares about what you do. Somebody down the street does the exact same thing. People only care about why you do what you do. Who are you? What are you about? What do you stand for? Think about every friend you have, Barbara, every single friend, you do not care what they do. What they do for a living is irrelevant. Who are they? What do they mean? How do you relate? Do you resonate with them? Those are the things that we care about. And we make decisions based on a feeling, and then we justify the decision in logic. So. If someone is speaking to the logical part of the brain, what you're gonna have is somebody who thinks about it. If you speak to the decision-making part of the brain, the emotional side of the brain, then you have people making decisions in your favor. The best decision is yes. The second best decision is no, I'm not the right fit. And the worst decision 
is maybe, let me think about it. Because that's just waste time, waste energy, waste resources. We don't want that. So we want to be so clear in our communication about who we are and what we believe that those who resonate with that message are naturally uh, attracted to us and predisposed to want to do business with us. Does that make sense? Oh, total sense. And it is so opposite or contrary to what most people think. Most people have been told, listen, don't talk about yourself. People only really want to hear what's in it for them or what you could do for them. And here you're saying, no, that, that's not the situation at all. To be effective, you, you need to open up and just be transparent, which of course everyone wants. Everybody really does want transparency. Yeah, and you know what? You can still make the language customer-centric as opposed to company-centric. It just has to be an and. In other words, let's say, for example, that uh, we're looking to establish a business that is a recurring revenue business of some kind. And maybe you have a belief in lasting relationships. And so you state that. We believe in lasting relationships. Now, let's suppose that you, Barbara, also believe in lasting relationships. You see that message and you say, wow, that Ridgely guy, he's my kind of people. I get him. He gets me. Now, in reality, that's not what's happening. All it is is I'm expressing a belief. It happens to be a shared belief that you have also, and therefore a commonality is created between us that feels as though we get each other. And even though that's not exactly what's happening, it doesn't matter because the net effect is that you're taking a step in my direction because I have a belief that you share. In other words, I'm invite, when I state we believe in lasting relationships, I'm inviting you into that belief. You say, yes, okay, great. Then I can follow that message up with customer-centric language. For instance, if I say, we believe in lasting relationships. You immediately internally nod your head because you share that belief. Mm -hmm. The next line in my copy could be something like, you deserve to have the kind of relationship that will last for a long time. In other words, I can flip the language to be customer centric once I've already got them on my side because I've already induced a yes state. They're nodding their head yes because of the shared belief, which means that I'm being totally authentic and then I'm making it about them. So I can do both as long as I'm transparent about me first, not the other way around. Does that make sense? Oh, that makes total sense. Yeah, it's, and it, really it's, it's contrary to what most people think, but it's so much more effective. And it doesn't really matter what business, it doesn't matter if you're a nonprofit, if it's a product, if it's a service, it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, people wanna know you first, they're gonna buy you first before they ever buy your product or your service. And therefore, being able to express you to the world is absolutely critical. Now, to your other question, which is how do people find out their mind type? Well, it, it's largely a process of learning about the mind types. There's seven of them and we can go through them. And then trusting your intuition, what feels right. Everybody has a primary mind type, which is your default setting. Anyone can adopt the characteristics of any of the mind types volitionally, but when you're not paying attention and you go back into your default setting of who you are, 
you're always going to revert back to your primary mind type. So if you'd like, we can walk through the seven. Um, yeah, I love, I love that. Yeah, I'd love that. Okay, so I'll give them out quickly and then we'll go one by one with a little bit more detail. Number one, mind type number one is the giver, the person that wants to make a difference, add value, contribute to others. Number two is the connector. The connector is all about trust and bonds and relationships. Number three is the problem solver, the person that makes sense out of things, clarifies things, simplifies things. Number four is the innovator. The innovator is always looking for a better way to do everything. Number five is the perfectionist, the people that do things the right way, very rigid and, and systematic about their approach. Number six is the rebel, the person that challenges the status quo and thinks outside the box. And number seven is the master, the brainiacs that always want to go deeper. So let's back it up. And I'm going to share for each of the mind types, what is the mind type, what is the superpower of that mind type, and what is the kryptonite of that mind type. The idea about being really, really successful is to maximize your superpower and minimize your kryptonite, right, to really live a full life. A lot of times people will recognize their mind type more from the kryptonite than from the superpower. So we'll go through all three of those. Okay, so again, back. Sound good? It sounds great. And, you know, you can just superficially, before we get into it, see how certain professions would gravitate from certain mindsets. For instance, if I'm going to be having uh, neurosurgery, I want the perfectionist. But that yeah. doesn't does, that doesn't mean I could necessarily live with one. <laughs> right, exactly right. You wouldn't necessarily want a rebel performing surgery on, uh, on your brain, right? Exactly. You're like, oh, I got a new way to do this. I think I'm going to challenge the old methods of doing brain surgery. Yeah, no, maybe not. Okay, exactly. So let's go through them one by one. Again, back to number one, the giver. The giver is the person that really wants to make a difference, to add value to others, to have an impact in all that they do, to contribute. Their superpower is causes. They're always involved in causes, large and small, from bringing coffee to the team at the office after COVID to changing the destiny of a nation. So um, they're looking to create the greatest value possible with all that they do. And they're, because of that, their kryptonite is overcommitment. They have a hard time saying, mm, mm. the no word just does not want to come out of their mouth because they're so committed to contributing to causes on an ongoing basis. So the, the giver, it's very important for the giver to learn how to discern, is this the best use of my time? Because if they say yes to a little thing, they jeopardize their ability to use that same amount of resources and effort towards something that they would leverage much better and would contribute to a greater good. So that's number one, the giver. Number two, the connector. The connector is the person for whom bonds and relationships are everything. They do what they say they're going to do. They show up when they say they're going to show up. Trust is their number one value. It is their superpower. Building trust and making sure that others understand that they're trustworthy. Because of that, they're so committed to demonstrating that, that they'll do the extra, then the extra, then the extra, and then a little bit more after that extra in order to prove trustworthiness. And the problem is that that doesn't work. The first extra takes them from being ordinary to extraordinary 
I think all of us can aspire to that, but all the other extras just make them nice. And as a result, the kryptonite of the connector is waste. They waste a lot of time and resources, can sometimes be taken advantage of because of their need to prove trustworthiness. Number three, the problem solver. The problem solver is that person that takes in lots and lots of data, processes it quickly, figures things out, and makes sense of them, simplifies things, clarifies things for others. Their superpower is solutions. They're really good at coming up with options, alternatives, and possibilities for others based on the data that they have. They need that data. So when they don't get enough data, that's when their kryptonite kicks in. And the kryptonite of the problem solver is paralysis. You know, when you're talking to somebody and suddenly they kind of get the dumb look, like they're talking, but they're just not really there. You know, they're kind of out to lunch and you know they're alive because they blink a little bit, but they're just not really present. In all likelihood, that is a problem solver in paralysis because they don't have enough data. All right, number four, the innovator. The innovator is the person that's always looking for a better way to do everything. Their superpower is improvements. So they're asking questions constantly. What about this? What about that? How about this? How about that? What about this other thing? Relentlessly asking questions. They have great difficulty ordering food in restaurants. Have you ever been to a restaurant and somebody's looking at the menu and they go, oh, I could have this, but oh, maybe this other thing is better. Oh, no, no, maybe this other thing is better. Oh, maybe I better check with the waiter. And they call over the waiter and they say, excuse me, excuse me, what's your favorite thing on the menu? And the waiter says, oh, this thing is really good. Very, very popular. And then the innovator says, great, but could you do it this way? And they try to make it even better, right? They're just relentlessly trying to make things better. Superpower improvements and the kryptonite, which is almost always the opposite of the superpower, is change for change's sake. They just want to make everything better. Doesn't matter how much it costs. Doesn't matter if it affects morale. Doesn't matter. They just want to make things better. So they're relentlessly trying to change everything, which obviously can be problematic. Number five, the perfectionist. The perfectionist is the person that understands that if you do A, then B, then C, then D, E is predictable. And you can look into the future. You can see um, what's going to happen. They love systems. That's their superpower. They do things the right way. They establish order. They eliminate chaos. They're always coming back to their lane, so to speak, which also means that their kryptonite is rigidity. They're a little bit my way or the highway, right? They just want to stay in their space. They don't like any kind of uh, chaos around them whatsoever. And as a, as a result, they're a little bit rigid. Rigidity is the kryptonite of the perfectionist. Number six, the rebel. The rebel is the person that thinks differently, lives outside the box. These are the people that are challenging everything. They challenge the status quo. They challenge the norm. They challenge convention. In fact, challenge is their superpower. They're going to find the new normal. These are the disruptors. As a result of challenging everything, their kryptonite is isolation. Because if they're challenging everybody, people are going to push them away and say, whoa, 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 stop, stay, stay on your side of the building. I don't like you challenging me all the time, right? Or oftentimes the rebel will self-isolate because they feel misunderstood. Lastly, you have the master. The master is the kind of person that is a super brainiac, incredible intellectual capabilities. They always wanna to go to the next level with everything in, in terms of mastering it. 
Depth is their superpower. They want to go deeper on any topic. These are the kind of people that would buy an ant farm just to watch the ants and see how can it be that these little creatures are so remarkably productive. As a result of their huge brain power, their kryptonite is complexity. Sometimes they overcomplicate things because they see it at a much deeper level than the rest of us. So when they go to explain something, they're giving us way more data than we possibly need. So once again, very quickly, the giver, the person that wants to contribute, make a difference, add value, superpower causes, kryptonite overcommitment. The connector, the person that bonds and relationships are everything for them. Trust is their superpower. Waste is their kryptonite. The problem solver, the person that makes sense out of things, clarifies and simplifies things. Solutions is their superpower. Paralysis is their kryptonite. Number four is the innovator. Always looking for a better way. Improvements is their superpower. Change for change's sake is their kryptonite. Then we have the perfectionist, doing things the right way, establishing order. Systems is their superpower. Rigidity, their kryptonite. Number six is the rebel, challenging the status quo, the norm, the convention, challenges their superpower, isolation is their kryptonite, and lastly, the master, depth is their superpower, always looking to get to the next level, and their kryptonite is complexity. So those are the seven mind types, and what I recommend is trust your intuition, and, that, and your default setting is what's going to be your primary mind type, your why, Secondary is generally going to be reflected in how you do what you do and what you do is going to show up in your tertiary mindset. Well, when you look at the seven types, you know, you may look at them and go, yeah, you know what, that sounds like me. And then you get to the next one, you go, wow, yeah, that sounds like me. And then you mm -hmm. get to the next one and say, yeah, that's me too. So can we be a multitude of types as complex individuals? Or is there one that really shines out more and, and not having secondary or tertiary types? No, everybody has a primary and a secondary and a tertiary. So let me make some examples. Let's suppose that you are a giver as your primary mind type. And your secondary is a rebel. And that would be an interesting combination. Well, what does that mean? It means that you're going to contribute, add value, make a difference, giver, in unique ways, rebel. If you were a giver and your secondary was a problem solver, then you were going to contribute, make a difference, add value, giver, by making sense out of things for others and providing solutions. If you were a giver, and your secondary was an innovator, you would want to make it add value, make a difference, contribute to others by finding better ways of doing things. So each of them is going to be intermixed and the possibilities are seven times six remaining times five, well over 200 potential profiles based on primary, secondary, and tertiary. However, all of us have a clear primary mind type. It's the default setting that you go back to when you're not thinking about it, when you're just living your daily life. I am a problem solver. I'm always going to be a problem solver. My secondary is a giver. I love to make a difference for others, but only if it makes sense, right? If it doesn't make sense, my primary problem solver, I'm not going to give or make a difference or contribute to others. Secondary. 
So we each have this complex dynamic that is very, very powerful in terms of explaining our behavior. Well, it certainly sounds from your explanation like it's built into our DNA and whether we like it or not, that's who we are. So can we then use this information once we've identified ourselves to determine what the most successful partnership would be, what that person uh, should be to, to complement us? Well, so the answer is yes, and it's a little more complicated than that. Because in reality, when I say I like you, psychologically what I mean is I am a lot like you. In other words, I understand you and I get you and you're my kind of people. And so therefore together, we're all good. When I say I don't like you, usually what I mean is I don't understand you. I don't get where you're coming from. Therefore, there's no commonality. There's no shared space, if you will. So are there mind types that are naturally more compatible? A hundred percent there are. Could non-compatible mind types get along anyway? Yes, if they fully understand each other. So for instance, imagine a relationship between a connector that's all about safety and bonds and relationships and a rebel that's all about challenging the status quo. Well, if you think about the connector says, oh, I want some more excitement in my life. I need a rebel. The rebel says, I want some more security in my life. I need a connector. And they come together. And at the beginning, all is well. And it's really exciting for each of them because they want a little bit of what the other has. However, as we know, leopards do not change their spots. And over time, the rebel is going to want to go back to their excitement and away from security. And the connectors want to want to go away from excitement and back to security. If they don't know that about each other, that is a train wreck of a relationship about to happen. However, if they understood that fully about each other, the connector could say, hey, a little too much excitement for me today, bucko. I'm not interested in that, back off. Or the rebel could say, hey, stop being so fuddy-duddy. Let's do something a little more excited. And they could have an engagement that could be very, very rich. Mm -hmm. However, if they don't understand each other, that's just never gonna work. Does that make sense? Totally, huh? And I was actually thinking of a business relationship, but I would assume it's the same. 100%. If I, if I don't understand you, let's say it's a, a, an innovator and a problem solver. But here's an interesting combination. So the problem solver does their very best and they provide, they make sense out of something, they simplify it, they clarify it, and they provide it to the other person. And the innovator, because they're always looking for a better way to do things, instead of acknowledging the problem solver says, oh, really? Well, what about this? What about that? How about this? How about this other thing? Right? Just living their superpower of improvements. The problem solver feels completely invalidated in that moment, dislikes the innovator and does not want to be around someone who doesn't appreciate their efforts. Scenario number one. Scenario number two, they understand each other's mind types. The problem solver knows that the innovator is always looking for a better way to do things. So instead of being upset by it, the problem solver goes to the innovator and says, hey, this is how far I've gotten on this. Can you see if you can make it any better? Understanding that that's what the innovator does. Now that relationship is super powerful. They play to each other's strengths as opposed to colliding as a result of a lack of understanding how the dynamic works. Yeah. Okay. So it's really very helpful. Now, is there a particular 
exercise that you would recommend for someone to identify who they really are? Well, I would send them to my free quiz and check it because that way it's a lot easier. If you go to mindtypes.com forward slash quiz, you can go there, take the quiz and figure out your mind type. That's the easiest way to do it for sure. Well, that sounds very helpful. Now, I understand that you have a training program that people can apply for. Could you tell us a bit about that? Yes. So if we uh, go back to the premise we were speaking about earlier, that people buy you before they buy your product or your service, then in order for someone to get closer to you, you have to be able to express who you are to the world so that you convert more customers into your business, uh, whatever that business may be. So we have a program called the Customer Conversion Formula. And the Customer Conversion Formula is all about understanding your mind type, why you do what you do, expressing that to the world so that you become like a giant magnet that attracts ideal clients to the business. And it's a whole process. We have software that we use where we walk people through a series of modules to really understand how to express why you do what you do, what you believe, so that in so doing, you do what we've been doing today, which is connecting with each other, getting someone to nod their head yes in your favor, inducing a yes state so that someone is much more predisposed to purchase your product or your service. Fantastic. How does yeah. one uh, how does one enroll in that program? The best way to do it, uh, because there are lots of options, is to send an email to support at MindTypes. Send an email to support at MindTypes, and then my team can hook you up. We have some very, very capable people that are quite uh, efficient and rapid at providing all of the options and setting that up for people. And that's MindSets.com, correct? MindTypes. MindTypes.com, yeah, yeah. correct? Support at MindTypes.com. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, excellent. Is there any final advice that you'd like to give our listeners today? Yeah, two things. First of all, you are really, really important. Whatever it is that you do matters. And let's just make the assumption that I'm going to take the leap of faith that what you do is also very important. In order for you to do more of what you do, one of the things that is critical is that you have the ability to express you with clarity, genuineness, and authenticity to the world. That's why it's so important to understand who you are and how to express who you are. That's where this work becomes paramount. And my other sort of final thoughts are, it's a kind of a weird time in the world right now. There are lots of interesting things going on. So I want to remind everybody that a smile is a little curve that sets a lot of things straight. And if someone needs a smile, then please give them yours. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, it has been very delightful speaking with you today. This is another episode of Marketing Tips for Doctors. I'm your host, Dr. Barbara Hales, and today we have been speaking with Ridgely Goldsboro. Thank you so much, Ridgely. The pleasure was all mine, Barbara. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Marketing Tips for Doctors. If you like the podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review. Press the subscribe button so you never miss an episode and tell your friends about the show. Join us on marketingtipsfordoctors.com for replays and more resources to help grow your practice, strengthen your brand, and dominate your field.
Remember, you are one tweet from greatness. Greatness.